This is an ABC podcast. If not at 70% and 80%, then when? Would Australia be closer to reopening if the Prime Minister had not failed his two jobs on vaccine and quarantine? Unfortunately, in the background, actions are still proving that they don't get it. Nobody is telling us exactly what's involved in the plan. Australia seems to have left it far too late to help those who helped us. I've had a gutful. I have had an absolute gutful. Hello and welcome to the party room at the end of the second week of the federal election campaign. I'm Patricia Carvalis from RM Breakfast, joining you from Gadigal Land of the Eora Nation. And I'm Fran Kelly from Afternoon Briefing, also on Gadigal Land, because PK, we're in the same studio for a change, which is lovely. And soon we're going to be joined by a columnist for the SMH and The Age, the fabulous Nikki Sava, to get her insights on the election campaign. She's seen a lot of them, and I mean a lot of them, and also her thoughts about last night's debate. PK, because it's the first of this campaign. In fact, so far, it's the only debate of this campaign, though I think there'll be more. Most of you probably didn't see it because it was on Sky last night. Had a live audience. We're going to be talking about that a bit later. But PK, as you say, week two, and it's all about the scare campaigns already. It's a bit early for that, isn't it? Very early for that. And all fear, 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 and on both sides. So Fran, I feel like we've seen some of these before. The coalition are basically saying don't vote Labor or the, you know, leaky asylum seeker boats will be back. The people smugglers will restart their trade. That's their argument. And you can see how keen they are to drum home that message by how quickly Scott Morrison jumped on it um, on on a mix-up on Sunday from Anthony Albanese over temporary protection visas to claim Labor is weak on border protection. And both sides are doing this, Labor working on its own scare campaigns, PK, working up one over IR. They certainly are. So Labor are trying to whack the coalition on industrial relations, Fran. It worked in 2007 during work choices. So uh, the big question is, can it work in 2022? There seems to me to be a campaign from both sides of you throw mud and you see what might stick. Shadow Industrial Relations Minister Tony Burke told me on RM Breakfast this week that the coalition would revive industrial relations changes and abolish the better off overall test. It's known as the boot, uh, which Labor says would slash paying conditions and make jobs less secure. Now, uh, the boot was proposed to be suspended for a couple of years during the pandemic. The government has since had to really tighten its message and say the boot is finished. Here's just a taste of how they did that. Uh, is, that is that what's happening? No, that's not what's happening. And I was very well, clear about this Well, you said you'd introduce today. the legislation. No, Anthony, what I, we said was we would go forward with the measures that weren't the emergency pandemic measures. So industrial relations, um, Labor trying to put it front and centre of the campaign because... It's worked for them before. Remember has, work choices? It has, but it's a long time ago and I think the conditions are different. And same with boats. Both of these campaigns, it's like a based in the past. That's what These gets me about These are old scare it. campaigns. These are old, you know, oogie boogie things for both sides. They remain weaknesses for both sides. But the fact is, there's really not much in these scare campaigns right now. That's the truth of it, isn't it? I think that they are, they are weak campaigns from both sides. I think the boats one, I'm like, oh, come on, guys. They support Operation Sovereign Borders. They say on TPVs, they're weak. Okay, they can argue that that is a difference. It is a difference. They don't support TPVs. But 
but I don't know if there is overwhelming evidence that TPVs are such a central pillar of the stopping the boats. Well, also the PM's big point last night with Anthony Albanese in the debate was, well, you didn't do turnbacks when you were in government. Well, no, that's true. And Anthony Albanese mucked up that answer at first and fixed it later. But eight years later, it is Labor's policy. They do support it now. I mean, we're having these arguments about past mistakes and past policy positions, we're, we're in now, we're in 2022, we that's are. what matters. But I, and I agree, and I think it's important as journalists that we call it out, but there's a reason they're doing it politically, and that's um, trying to remind voters and make the make voters join dots, dots that I'm not saying are necessarily there, but that ultimately Anthony Albanese doesn't really believe in this policy or, on the other side, that the Liberal Party is actually hungry to cut wages and conditions. That's what both of them are trying to do. And Labor's also trying to do that on Medicare and they've done this every election since John Howard was first running as Prime Minister, trying to say that, you know, John, John Howard had to come out actually when he was opposition leader and declare to the world, we will support Medicare, because Labor always says this government has tried to cut back Medicare, tried to get rid of Medicare. They're doing it again. They're also um, got this campaign that the government wants to extend the cashless welfare card, the cashless debit card to pensioners. The government doesn't want to do that. Does the government want to extend it at all? Well, yes, they have said things. They are on the record of suggesting that it needs to be rolled out, you know, in major cities at some point if they can get the technology right. But are they going to extend it to pensioners? No, they're not going to. This is, in, in that sense, a baseless fear campaign, and it has been scaring pensioners. The Prime Minister's called a despicable lie. He did that again in the debate last night. You know, Labor's got these quotes suggesting they do want to extend it at some point, and they probably will if they stay in government. Labor says they'll get rid of it. Yeah, and so these are all the negative messages, and, and that point you were making, Fran, this is very early, I feel like they're both so vulnerable if you look at the polling in different ways. But so many people undecided, so many people looking to other options that they are trying everything they can to get votes in their column. They're trying to get people's attention. They've sort of gone nuclear right from the beginning. Uh, another example of that is the government scare campaign over Labor's energy prices. They did this at the last election campaign. Remember, they put out this study that, you know, claimed to show that Labor's emissions reduction policy would cost, you know, X number of hundreds of billions of dollars. There was no, you know, the, the, the rest of the modelling didn't support that. They're doing that again this time. Labor says it has detailed, reputable modelling to back up its claim. Mind you, its claim is that its policies will create 604,000 jobs. I don't know whoever counts these jobs in the NPK when these claims are made, you know, 10 years' time. Do we ever count whether 604,000 were made? I don't know. But it's all I'm saying is they're trying to put out big front pages to attract people's attentions, hoping something will stick in some voters' minds. And they're doing that because a big percentage of the electorate are either not tuned in or they're certainly not inclined to, to vote for either of the major parties. The polls are pretty clear on that. So I want to turn to the leaders' debate, which we will get into in more detail with our guest, Nikki Sava. But just us just having a little chat now, Fran. This is on Sky News, yes, pay TV, between the leaders, 100 undecided voters. I actually like the idea of undecided voters asking unexpected questions. I think it's a good model. Uh, I understand people's frustrations and it's on pay TV. I have them too. 
But, it's, it's hopeless that it's on play TV. Let's that's put, good. I mean, clearly it's hopeless. <laughs> it is. But but the idea of undecided voters asking questions rather than sort of journalists, um, I think is good. Yeah. Although I love journalist questions for obvious reasons, but I, I think both models are good. So both leaders, I think, performed pretty well. Um, that isn't to say that they didn't have flaws in things they said or moments. But Both uh, nervous. I thought the Prime Minister uncharacteristically so. He doesn't often look a bit dry-mouthed and a bit, a little bit stumbly, but he was at first. A few things came out of it I thought were interesting. And Catherine Murphy made this point on RM Breakfast this morning, so it was stuck in my mind because it, I kind of tweaked. I thought I noticed it too. Anthony Albanese calling Scott Morrison the Prime Minister Scott yeah. all the time. <laughs> all night, Scott. Well, I guess it's about a level playing field, isn't it? Yeah, that's what that's about. You know, he can't be calling him the Prime Minister because that elevates him. Scott. Yeah, Scott. So he called him Scott a lot, um, very a deliberately, lot. a lot. Uh, and both both of them, you know, tried to get each other on their vulnerabilities for the Prime Minister, trying to get, as you say, Alba, Albanese, please, Albanese, uh, uh, old nicknames, Anthony Albanese, on the vulnerability of boats. By the end, Albanese saying, yes, we adopted your turn backs because it's a good idea. Yeah, and so we, what? And if when there's a good idea, we'll adopt it. You know, the, the pragmatist, the consensus man, which is how he tries to frame himself. But I thought the stoush and the way the Prime Minister dealt with this deal that's also happened this week, busy week, between the Solomon Islands and China, the security pact, and the way the Prime Minister framed this was really interesting. Here it is. What this shows is the that China has changed in the last five years. When something of this significance takes place, why would you take China's side? That's an outrageous slur from the Prime Minister and it shouldn't be, uh, national security issues shouldn't be the subject of that sort of slur. The truth is that we all know that China has changed. China has changed its posture. It's more aggressive. It's more active in the region and we need to understand that and respond to it. What did you make of it, Fran, the, the way the Prime Minister said you're on the side of China? Well, it was an outrageous slur, I think. The Prime Minister obviously going for broke here to press the point they've been trying to press since before this campaign started, which is his government is strong on national security, Labor will be weak on national security. Remember when he used the parliament to uh, call the, the opposition leader, Anthony Albanese, and one of his shadow ministers, Manchurian candidates. Mm -hmm. I mean, that was an outrageous slur too. And the uh, defence and security commentary really urged him not to do that. He was there again doing that last night. Anthony Albanese, I suppose, acquitted himself quite well. The problem for the government is this Solomon Islands issue, this security pact with China, which is a very dangerous, potentially dangerous um, geopolitical you know, move between China and the Solomons, very geopolitically dangerous for Australia in the long term. Um, that's happened in the middle of our election campaign. And what it's done is dent the government's claims potentially of being strong on national security because you've got Labor running around, as Anthony Albany was last night, accusing the government of the biggest foreign policy failure in the Pacific since World War II. So, you know, Labor's trying to use that to drag down the government's national security credentials. Scott Morrison's trying to use it to burnish their national security credentials. It's all happening live time right in the middle of our domestic election here. My view is that they're both politicising national security, though. Yeah, well, they are. But, I mean... Both. Like, uh, Labor also... Absolutely. Penny know. Wong's uh, attacks yesterday were very strong. She came out with that, you know, 
biggest national security failure in the Pacific since World War II. That is a strong, strong claim. And yes, Labor would definitely have been using it for the last 24 hours, 48 hours. But if you put the boot on the other foot, so to speak, if Labor were in government and this pact had been signed, can you imagine the kind of sense of crisis that the coalition would be That's creating true. as an opposition. And I think there is, you know, the, the, there is a weakness in the government's response. Yes, Prime Minister Scott Morrison, his first visit as Prime Minister when he was elected was to the Solomons. So they knew this was an issue. They knew this was a weakness. He has done, he has worked to try and shore up Australia's links with the Pacific family, as it's called. This is all part of Malcolm Turnbull's step up in the Pacific. Um, the fact is, it hasn't worked. The government is open to some criticism by the amount of public um, advocacy it has not done in the Solomons in the last month. Since this leak came out, there hasn't been a visit to the foreign minister. I really don't understand that. Julie Bishop, former foreign minister, said yesterday, Maurice Payne should be on the first plane to try and work out what's in this From deal. their own side, their yeah. own former foreign minister. So I think they have vulnerabilities here on this. I think so too. We're going to get more uh, into the campaign, into this debate and the China Solomons issue with our next guest. So I think it's a good time to bring her in, Frank. So let's do it. <laughs> Nikki Sava, columnist for the Sydney Morning Herald and The Age, welcome to the party room. An absolute pleasure to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Nikki, the debate, PK and I have just been talking about the debate on Sky last night. Uh, the Sky audience of 100 undecided voters gave Anthony Albanese a very narrow win. Did you watch it and what did you think? I did watch it and um, I, w- I found it gripping. gripping. I was fascinated. Gripping, I know. I was not expecting that answer. <laughs> well, I thought it was fascinating, um, you know. Well, I, I was gripped because, you know, a human contest with so much riding on it, True. like modern-day Coliseum-type stuff, you know, um, uh, so much riding on it, particularly uh, for Albanese but also for Morrison mm. because it's not like he's been having a good time of things um either. So I uh, watched it all from beginning to end and what I found most interesting about it, I have to say, um, was the questions exactly. from the audience. Exactly. I could not believe it. I was sitting there watching all of Labor's policy priorities being rolled out from undecided voters, you know, aged care. First one, housing affordability, yeah. aged care, nurses, yeah. the NDIS, a federal ICAC. It was, yes. it was incredible, really. What, what, what do you read into that, Nikki? Well, um, what I read into that is that um, swinging voters, at least, you know, from what we saw uh, last night, um, rate these issues very highly. Uh, there was not a single question on cost of living except housing affordability, mm. right? That that kind of fits in there, uh, especially given, you know, all the homeless people now uh, because of the floods and the fires and, and poverty. Mm. Um, there was no question on climate change or interest rates or transgender women competing in sport or religious freedom. They were worried, and there were three questions on relating to this, um, about integrity and trust in government, right? Um, I think that is that is a top-of-mind um, issue in that kind of um, cohort, if you like. And I found that uh, fascinating. And also, 
you know, aged care, like you said, mm. and uh, and all those other things. Um, not what one would have expected necessarily. And I did check back with uh, Kieran Gilbert today, you know, just to make sure that they were, you and know. And he's the Sky of, host for those who don't know. Yeah. yeah. Yes. And, and they were selected, you know, uh, from a broad cross-section of the population of southeast Queensland. You know, I was I was keen to know whether they, they were from a particular area, you know, like middle-class suburban um, yeah, yeah. seats or, or, or whatever. But, um, no, it was a, a broad uh, cross-section of people. So I thought that was really interesting. And, and Nikki, some of the sticky stuff... Um, Fran and I were just discussing the Solomons, for instance, and the deal that's been done there and the way that the Mm. Prime Minister approached that, really going on the offensive, saying that Albanese was close to China. What did you make of that? Um, Well, it was over the top and and it was completely unnecessary. And I also uh, checked because I heard someone say last night that there was an audible groan in the room when Morrison said that and apparently there was. So uh, I think that was uh, quite silly of him uh, to do that because I don't think anyone seriously believes that, you know, Labor is on China's side. You know, Labor, of course, is on Australia's side. Mm. Like, you know, um, we all are and and quite rightly worried about um, where China is heading and, and what it's doing. So I thought that that was gratuitous and completely unnecessary and, and I think that was a costly um, thing for him to say. I don't think he won any votes out of it at all. Speaking of costly, he's copped a bit of pain this morning, the Prime Minister, for his answer to a woman talking about her son who has a disability, a young boy called Ethan, and she's she was asking mm. a question about the NDIS. Um, the Prime Minister said, look, he and Jen have, he's, they're blessed to have two children who basically he was saying who don't have a disability. He's really come in for some criticism of that. What did you think? Well, look, he was clearly trying to empathise, right? But it was completely the wrong thing to say Um, because, you know, let's face it, uh, some of us have had family members with um, quite serious problems and, you know, we don't think that we were not blessed by having them. In fact, quite the opposite because they teach us so many life lessons, particularly the need for humility. And um, so I thought, you know, that was a very discordant um, moment for him. And he was, as I say, trying to be um, empathetic, but he completely missed the mark. Yes, he was trying, but he missed the mark. And it doesn't help that uh, Dylan Alcott, Australian of the Year and absolute legend uh, that is so well liked in this country, has tweeted expressing his offence at it. So, Nikki, those things are just not helpful, are they, for the Prime Minister? Definitely not. I mean, who, I mean, Dylan Alcott, uh, he's just the most amazing person, right? And how blessed are we as a country to have people like that? I mean, yeah, but you know, like I say, it's maybe maybe the Prime Minister does need to have those empathy training programs, you know. Maybe he needs to take one himself, I think. 
Nikki, you've watched a lot of campaigns. You're a veteran of campaigns inside the tent and outside the tent. This is week two of this one. We've got four more to go. What's mm. your take so far? What's your read so far on this campaign? Well, I still think, um, well, Albanese uh, resuscitated himself last night, right? So he's still alive. If he had made a mistake last night, um, I think that would have been the end of him, really. Uh, but I do think it, it's still going to be a very close contest. Um, there is a very real possibility that the there will be a hung parliament um, because as we saw last night too, there is a, still a great number of undecideds out there. So a lot depends on which way they break and whether in the end they they still think a plague on both your houses, we're going to vote for Pauline or Clive or we're going to vote for, um, you know, Allegra, Zoe and um, the other independents. So there's still a real wild card out there, I think, about how this election will finally end up. And um, so I think the, the challenge for both leaders uh, remains very great. Albanese has to make sure that he performs really well every single day and Morrison has to do better. He has to do much better than he's doing now. Well, well, just on that, Nikki, it's an interesting point. He sort of goes into autopilot, right, like he did with the last answer. You know, he was asked a specific question, mm. but he went into his autopilot mode answering, you know, on the strong economy. Yeah, he was meant be- to be speaking about how we get trust back in politics and he and he gave his ending sh- sort of end spiel yeah, about it was like he wasn't economic listening record. at all. Yeah. And so, and, and that's, I think, a weakness not to listen especially with, with a room like that where you've got real voters who want want you to really engage in the issues that they're raising. But on the sort of what the Prime Minister needs to do, isn't kind of his issue that he's going on record and we're just better with money? He even says it really brutally. We're just better with money. You know, trust us with the money. Uh, yeah, Labor can have the big ideas. He actually said this. Yes, yeah. Labor's brought in yeah. some we, big We reforms, do the money. But, but, yeah, we, yeah. but we work out how to money, fund them. Money, money, money. But why want to know... Is he going to tell us about his big ideas? I mean, we've got four weeks left. He might. Well, well, that's the thing. Um, and, and that was one of uh, the points that Albanese made, that you don't hear very much really about the future uh, from um, Morrison. Uh, he is running very much um, on his record. And the, he's, he's just running the same script that he ran in the last election in 2019. Um, He had no forward agenda to speak of. So, you know, his campaign was completely focused on Shorten and what Labor was uh, proposing. And mind you, there was a lot there to go on with. Um, And he is finding it harder uh, this time to grapple with Albanese but he doesn't have an agenda of his own to talk about beyond, you know, we can manage the money better and we can look after national security. And, of course, the de- China's deal with the Solomon Islands uh, has blown uh, a bit of a hole in that. Mm. So um, he does need uh, to come up with something 
um, to talk about a big idea, but so does Albanese. Exactly. By the way. Exactly. I mean, that was uh, what was so good about this debate was people were throwing them ideas to be talking about, real policies to be talking about, real sort of life issues. Um, Nikki, I was interested to to hear you say you think this is still very tight because the polls this week, and you know, we can all take polls with a grain of salt at the moment, but if we're looking at them, what was staggering, I think, in the latest news poll was the non-major party combined vote was a staggering twenty nine percent. So. Yeah. That would be, you know, independents, many of those that are the so-called teal independents running in some of those liberal uh, leafy suburbs of Melbourne and Sydney, Greens, United Australia Party, which is Clive Palmer, and One Nation. That's a big chunk of the vote that's not going to the major parties. Can either side win government in its own right with a primary vote stuck around 35 36%? Do they have to get more? And do you think we are heading for a hung parliament? What's your prediction on that? Well, um it is marginally possible for Labor to do it with a lower, uh, sorry, with a slightly higher primary vote than the coalition has. But um, I wouldn't say that it was certain. I mean, that is a huge number. Mm. 29%. It's never been that high. The level of disillusionment has never been that high, you know, with both major parties. And with the coalition, it's coming from the far right. And uh, for Labor, obviously, from the far left. So um, I, I think uh, they still, the major parties have a lot of work to do, I think, to try and get back some of that 29% uh, so that they can govern in their own uh, right. Um, people I was talking to um, in both camps earlier in the week were saying that a hung parliament is still a real possibility um, because of that. So, um, wow, we, what a we, contest! What a contest! I know. See, it's gripping. Isn't Looking forward it? to election. I, I remember that gripping. election night when we got a hung parliament, yep. and it was you know incredible, really. So we'll wait and see how it rolls out. Now, I want to move um, to something I know you've been watching closely, Nikki. The New South Wales branch openly split over the pre-selection of Catherine Deves in Warringah. Uh, with mm. new offensive tweets seemingly coming to light every single day. I mean, she was very busy on social media, wasn't she? Um, <laughs> sort of uh, making queer people generally, trans people, uh, insulting them. As far as I can see, that's what she's done. Uh, we've had criticism from moderate Liberals both publicly and behind closed doors, but the Prime Minister is sticking by his captain's pick. This is Scott Morrison talking on Saturday. I'm not joining that pile on. And uh, she has learned from her experiences about how she's sought to deal with this issue in the past. And I have no doubt that she'll pursue these issues in a more sensitive way and more respectful way in the future. And uh, by the end of the week, the Prime Minister has even sort of ramped up the tone, trying hard to link the scandal to cancel culture. She's being silenced. Sounds like he thinks she's the victim here. Nikki, here, here he is. She is a woman standing up for women and girls and their access to fair sport in this country. Now, I'm not going to allow her to be silenced. I'm not going to allow her to be pushed aside as the pylon comes in to try and silence her. I'll stand up with her. Um, my team's standing up with her. And we will make sure that she won't be silenced. I know there's plenty of people who would like to do that. 
So um, he doesn't want her to be silenced. He also doesn't seem to mind this debate sort of lingering on in the campaign. As Men- mentioning cancelling culture a few times, yeah, cancel culture. Sort of mm-hmm. anti-woke agenda. And uh, But he says his team's all at one on this, Nikki. I spoke to Simon Birmingham mm. this morning on RM Breakfast. I know you were listening. He didn't seem like enthusiastically into this candidate, did he? <laughs> Um, n- not in the slightest, um, but he wouldn't go that one step further, would he, and say um, this woman should go, um, which is uh, what Matt Keane um, has said. Uh, Matt Keane has been very forceful, as we've seen, saying, you know, there is no room in the Liberal Party for bigots. Well, apparently there is if you listen to the Prime Minister, because um, he is trying to pretend that uh, all she's doing is standing up for women in sport. Well, that is rubbish. Uh, What she has tweeted has gone way, way beyond that. Um, It is offensive, it is insulting, it is cruel. And uh, if the Liberal Party and the Prime Minister is going to stand up for someone um, who does that, well, Good luck to them. But uh, I think, and and this is what Libs uh, are saying to me, and I think they're right because Morrison does not do anything without calculating the numbers. You know, we saw that, uh, how well he did that in, in 2018 when he toppled um, Malcolm Turnbull. And in their view, he has calculated that there will be more votes for him in this, in those outer suburbs and in some of those regional seats, especially where there are high populations of religious people, that there will be more votes for him in this issue than there will be in the leafy inner urban Liberal seats. And uh, Do you think he's right, Nikki? Well, (laughs) someone else also said to me uh, yesterday... By the end of this campaign, he will either be roadkill or he'll be seen as a political genius. Um, I, I doubt very much that he has made the right calculation because I don't think that, that this issue is one that people will think, yeah, this is going to swing my vote to, um, to Morrison because this woman needs to be protected. You know, she's the one who's, you know, uh, running a campaign to, you know, which is very dangerous, I think, for vulnerable and fragile people. But it's not really about this woman, is it? That's what he's signalling. He's signalling about all those people who are concerned about wokeism, who are concerned about being, you know, the other and left out and, and, you know, the cancel culture. That's That's the, let's call it, dog whistle, isn't it? That's the dog whistle, and he's trying to turn it into a culture war, right? But um, I don't think it will work for him. We saw with uh, the same-sex marriage plebiscite, you know, way back when, that um, the majority of Australians do not respond to that kind of, you know, campaign of fear and uh, intimidation. And, and. You know, to pick on people like that, I think, is just uh, beyond the pale. Um, We know, I know, I have friends, Mm. you know, who have been through this uh, process 
And, you know, it's not something that people do on a whim, right? No, they don't do it because they want to win sporting competitions, do they? Yeah, exactly. So um, I I think for the Prime Minister to select a candidate like that and then to stand by her absolutely, resolutely diminishes him and diminishes uh, the Liberal Party. And what does it do to candidates in those leafy suburbs with these issues are sort of, I suppose people are more sympathetic to these issues. Trent Zimmerman, Dave Sharma, there are others. Does it hurt them? It does hurt them. Um, it makes their uh, task of getting re-elected that much harder because people can see through those arguments, right? They can see through the arguments that Morrison is putting and and you know, they'd be thinking seriously, you know, is this what you're going to campaign on? Is this what you're trying to whip up? Get real, you know? Well, Nikki, you are my favourite Cypriot (laughs) Greek (laughs) party room guest. I'm probably the only Cypriot I I wasn't going to say that, Nikki. I was not going to say that. (laughs) We often have moments of Hellenic um, solidarity, don't we, um, Nikki, and our journalistic solidarity too. Thanks for coming on the podcast. (laughs) All right, now I'm feeling excluded. Thanks, Nikki. (laughs) Bye. Questions without notice. The Leader of the Opposition. Thank you, and and I'm pleased the question time at least is happening, Mr Speaker. The bells are ringing. That means it's time for question time. This week's question comes from Andrew Smee, who writes, Why in a society that has limits on normal commercial advertising... Do we not have some limits on the content of political advertising? Um, Goes on to say, I support the concept of free speech, but feel that some of the advertising in this election comes close to the standard of not shouting fire in a theatre. That example often used to express the limits on the freedom to speak. Well, there are some limits on political ads. You have to, for instance, have a declaration at the end of the ad saying who it's it's representing. And that's why you say this is an ad endorsed by the Liberal Party or whoever it is. Um, You're also not allowed to misrepresent the AEC and pretend you're the AEC, Mm -hmm. uh, which is the Australian Electoral Commission. You're not allowed to do that. Uh, But by and large, you're right, I guess, in a way that there are very few uh, limits. Andrew, I do know that some ads have been pulled. There have been reports to ACMA, the Australian Communication Media Authority. Um, ads have been pulled when they're outright lies. But um, by and large, you're right, there's not a lot of rules no. around it. And political ads aren't fact-checked, you know, that they can misrepresent. Uh, think about scare campaigns in the past. I mean, think about what we've just been talking about, all the scare campaigns, yeah, right? Yeah, some yeah. of those are simply not the correct. De- well, the death taxes campaign of the last campaign, which was all going on on social media, but but, you know, this kind of campaigning. I understand why people are concerned and, and that's why I think, like, journalism is important to call it out. And some people, you know, I know some people who listen to this podcast are diehard Labor voters or diehard Liberals or Greens. And sometimes I'm going to say this thing's really important to say. People see things through the prism of their own political views. But it's important that truth is at the centre of everything, um, not just for your take or your view Truth is something that is not refutable. It is fact-based. 
analysis that we try to provide and we go to the facts. And so that's why we've called out both scare campaigns, Fran, because facts matter. Facts do matter because if we're just making stuff up, then, you know, what kind of democracy are we are we pretending to live in? The ABC does have, it's got fact-checking going on actively and daily through this campaign. We've also got an operation, uh, a unit operating called the Hidden Campaign, where they're going to be looking at what is being said on social media and and in different, you know, the message is going to different areas of Australia and, and fact-checking those and bringing some of those to light too. So all of this will help illuminate really what are the messages going out, what are the truths and the untruths perhaps. Send your questions in because we love getting them. You can tweet using the hashtag The Party Room or email your questions to thepartyroom at abc.net.au. And follow us, of course, follow us, The Party Room, on the ABC Listen app or on your favourite podcast app. And many of you have been reviewing us. My favourite reviews, other than just telling us you love the podcast, which helps boost it, is the ones that write that you're reviewing it just to satisfy me because I keep begging you, (laughs) which is, they're my favourite because I read them and I think, I sound like such a loser. But then I'm like, but you did it. So I suppose I'm not a loser. I just won. It worked. And can I just have a brief ad, PK? If you're listening to this, tune in tonight, ABC TV, Foreign Correspondent at 8 o'clock. It's my first foreign correspondent. I went out on the road, went into the wilds of Calabria. Not only the road, on an aeroplane. I went on an aeroplane. I went on many aeroplanes and many dusty roads into Calabria in Italy. There's a big story about the mafia on ABC Thursday night, 8 o'clock or anytime on iView. Anytime on iView is quite key because yeah. sometimes people miss it, but it's just going to be there waiting. And um, that's what I'm going to do, Fran, because I might be sleeping. It was a lot of fun. And Fran, there's another ad too. That is, PK. Just reminding everyone, we are doing a party room live in Canberra, the Canberra Theatre, on Monday the 2nd of May at 7pm. We've got some special guests, special political guests, of course, live with us. So don't miss it. If you're going to be in and around Canberra, or you can be on 2nd of May, Get on the Canberra Theatre Centre website and buy your tickets. We'd love to see you there. I can't wait. See you, Fran. See you, PK. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.